Good morning. My name is Spencer. I am one of the pastors here. We are in our Give series uh, this uh, month and every year. We get to pause from whatever sermon series we're doing and we get to walk through the Give series together. It is our opportunity uh, in the season that we celebrate the gift of Christmas that Jesus was gifted to humanity. We get to respond to that generosity by sitting in the call as Christians to live generously towards others. We get to tackle a Give project every year which is a real action step for us to live generously towards others. Uh, We get to have awesome bumpers made like that that just celebrate the season. Uh, It's a fun time for us to pause every year and do this. Uh, We typically, or sometimes, we'll jump into a completely new set of texts, but we've been going through 1 John over the last uh, few months, and we got to 1 John 3, and it lines up fairly well with where we are in this Give Project. So we are in verses 10 through 18. That's what Chet introduced last week, and we're posting up uh, and the back end of that in 16 through 18 today to uh, look at this a little cl- more closely. He says in 1 John 3, verses 16 and 18, he says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but indeed in truth. The Chet introduced this last week, and we're going to spend more time on it today, that God loves the world. He loves the world, but there's something special and specific about the people of God, that he loves us specially and deeply. And as Christians, we're called to love everyone. But there's this elevated, we see in the New Testament, this sense of you're called to love deeply your brothers and sisters in Christ. So we introduced last week that in line with uh, that idea of this Give Project, specifically we are tackling uh, blessing some brothers and sisters uh, in the faith who are in need. And then we stumbled upon an opportunity with Bethel Christian Camp. So Bethel Christian Camp is a camp we've been connected to for years. Isaac Hill, uh, who's on staff with us. His dad, Jarl Hill, is the executive director of Bethel Christian Camp. Uh, their mission is to, is to help make disciples throughout the summer of campers, and specifically they have a lot of focus on uh, under-resourced families. Uh, so we uh, love them. We've partnered with them for years, and an opportunity came to us when Jarl said, we're hiring a new uh, program director. Uh, his name is Jason uh, Earhart. Uh, so Jason, his wife Christine, and their four kids are moving down from Virginia, and they're going to move into an 1,100-square-foot house. Jordan, you can go ahead and throw that up there. Uh, they're going to move into this house, okay? So it's a family of six uh, moving into this 1,100-square-foot house, and this house in particular needs a lot of love. So they said, we need to do a lot of renovations on it. We heard about it. We said, all right, we're in. How much you need us to raise? So we need about $17,000 to renovate this house for this family who's moving down here to, to partner with Bethel Christian Camp and make disciples of children. So we're excited about this, this opportunity. This family uh, is making a sacrifice. So Jason is, is taking a pay cut uh, to come down here, and a family of six is going to live uh, in a smaller house. Uh, but they care deeply about the mission of Bethel, They care about making disciples, and we said, you know what? We want to bless this family. Before they move down in February, let's raise the money. In January, let's let's, let's go over there. Let's do some uh, work. It needs HVAC. It needs renovations on the inside, completely paint, kitchen, you name it. We said, all right, we're all in on this. 
Let's do this. So that's the gift project that Chet introduced last week. We are excited about it. But before we continue in this, I want to sit specifically in this idea that would compel us to actually love them well, that would compel us to rally around this and actually bless this family. And it is this specific idea of laying down our lives for our brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to sit in that and then examine some of the reasons why we actually might struggle to do this. So let me pray and then we will jump in uh, today. Lord, we love you. Uh, we are thankful for your goodness and your kindness towards us. God, I pray that you would help us worship this morning, knowing that that is true. Worship you because you're worthy. Worship you because you are generous towards us, but that you would uh, stir in us a desire to want to love one another well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so pull the text back up. Let's walk through this. It says, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. This is brothers, brothers and sisters in Christ, the family of God. But, verse 17, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. At Christmas, we get to celebrate uh, that God in his love and his humility came for us. And that, that doesn't register like it should because God is big. Like he made everything. He made the universe in all of its glory. A few weeks back, I was reading uh, in uh, Garden and Gun, which is a magazine that I get. It's a magazine that I like. And, uh, and I was reading it, and it said that 80% of Americans have never seen the Milky Way. And I was like, I've never seen the Milky Way. You can see that with the naked eye. And then you like go to different, like there are different places that have uh, around the world that are called dark sites that have less light pollution. You can look up when the, when the sky is right and see the Milky Way. So I like went all in and looked at pictures and videos and started making plans. because like, I want to see this because it's unbelievable to look up at the heavens and see the, the galaxy. And, and when you look at that, you just feel so small because the sight is so big. And when you take a step back as a Christian, you realize. God made that and it's small to him. Like it, it doesn't compare the surpassing worth and his glory. That's how big our God is. When you understand how big our God is, you understand how much he loves us. That he came for us. That Jesus left the comforts of heaven and he came for us. Like when you sit in that reality, it just, it's just overwhelming that at Christmas, Jesus loves us so much that he laid down his life and he came for us. So once you press into that, it says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. By this we know Christ, who is love. When you understand and believe and are immersed and are infatuated with who he is, it says that his love is going to abide in us. And more specifically, the things that he cares about, we're going to care about. That's what happens when you love someone. Like I, a few weeks back, I got to officiate my, my sister's wedding, and it was a, an exciting time uh, for me. Uh, it was the most fun wedding I've ever been to. I thoroughly enjoyed it. it, was, it the ceremony was beautiful. I was so glad that I got to be a part of it. 
One of the things I got to share with the people who were there was that uh, I knew that my sister was falling for this guy. When one weekend I was talking to my mom, I was like, what is, what's Kat? What's my sister? What, what's she doing this weekend? I said, well, she's at a NASCAR race. I said, wait, what? <laughs> huh? She never, like NASCAR was never on her radar. She was a beauty pageant. She queen. She was a cheerleader. Like she is dainty. Like she, no, like at a NASCAR race. And like I found out later, oh yeah, she's also, she goes camping with him. Camping in the outdoors. Are you serious? I was like, man, she's falling for this guy. That she would, and that's what happens. When you love someone, you become about what they're about, right? You start to love their interests. You start to care about the things that they care about. When you love Christ, you care about what he cares about. You're all in. And when he says, love your church family, love your brothers and sisters, that's what you care about. And he's highlighting this is what we should do. Yet you close your heart. That's what he's saying. You close your heart. The KJV here says, shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him. When you look at all the translations alongside that, it's like, man, that, that one's a little different. But actually, it's probably the most closest to the text. What he's conveying there is that, you're, that the innermost part of you, that the love of Christ should impact the innermost part of you. And when you shut your heart, when you close that off, you are stopping the love of God that should flow through you. And we, we, we feel this. When you see something, you're like, man, this, someone should do something about this. When you see a Compassion International ad and you see children that are in deep need. Like whatever, whatever thing that you come across that just starts to prod at your heart. Like you feel this feeling rise up inside you. Like that, that someone should do something. And then something stops us often. And that's the closing of our heart. It, it, it dams up the river of compassions that should flow through us. We should look at Christ, behold him for who he is. And when we're doing that, his compassion flows through us. But we, we stop it. That's the problem that John is addressing here. And he has a question for us. He says, how can God's love abide in you if you're willing to close your heart? How, how can the love of God reside in you, flow through you? How could Christ be the most important, beautiful, worthy of worship being in the universe for us if you don't love his people, if you don't love the church, if you love Christ, he will capture your heart, and you absolutely will. But there's something in us, there's something in us that guys to break down the walls that we close off towards showing compassion towards others. And he goes on to say in verse 18, like this isn't, this isn't a compassion that flows through you that, that is just talked about. This is not mere words. This isn't just saying someone should do something about this. Someone with means should do something about this. That the heart of a Christian breaks for his brother and sister and says, Amen, what, do I, what can I do? What do you need from me, Lord? How can I help? That's what John's trying to inspire in these churches he's writing to. That's what the scriptures are pleading with us to do as well. Especially in the American church. In the American church, we have some of the most collective, the highest collective wealth of almost any church in the history of humanity. And we have a lot of wealth in America and in the American church. And in our church, we're not, you know, 
we're not killing it, right? We're, we're, we're just not. Like, we, we're a blue-collar, middle-class. Like, that, that's who we are. But So you might think, okay, well, other churches can, can go for this even harder because they have more. But the reality is, when you look at us, compared to the global church, it's like, no, we have an incredible amount of means. We have incredible uh, ability to bless other Christians, to invest in other ministries, to do, to give. But there's something in us, even in our own selves, even in our own hearts, that stops us all the time. And that's what we're trying to see. That's what John's trying to diagnose, and this is what he's trying to help us see. There's something in us that keeps us from doing that. So I want to... I want to I want to ask some questions. I want to diagnose this a little bit to see what it is that actually keeps us from having a heart that's filled with the compassion and love of Christ and is extended towards others. And it's not to, hear this, it's not to do a guilt trip, okay? A guilt trip might get you to open your checkbook for this gift project, and that's fine for a moment. But what we need is God to continue to mold and shape and break our hearts so that we might continuously live in generosity and tap into the benefits and the goodness that is found in that type of obedience. We need that. But we need to uh, look at when he says, "By, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. That phrasing there, we need to actually sit in that. That if Jesus is the one by which we know love and his sacrifice and his laying down of his life is something that we need to stare at, be consumed with, and to learn from, then I want to take a few minutes to walk through a different, few different teachings, a few different things that Jesus did to help us see how Jesus modeled this so that we might be a people that can do this well. And as we walk through a few different things, there are four things I want us to see. If we examine kind of the problem beneath the surface within us that keeps us from doing this, then we have a chance at seeing the love of Christ flow through us. The four things I want us to see as we walk through this. First, I want us to see this life in light of eternity. See this life in light of eternity. Second, I want us to see our stuff in light of eternity. All right, we're going to see those two sides of the same coin there. Three, I want us to see church family as family. And fourth, I want us to see the sacrifice of Christ. So four things I want us to see. All right, four. The first two things I want us to see this morning. I want to look at one text from Matthew 6, the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus is teaching uh, in verses 19 and 20. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. All right, let's sit in this passage for a moment, and let's first see this life in light of eternity. One of the things that we fail to see as Christians is that eternity, okay, 60 million plus years into infinity, that that is greater than 80 years. Like, there's something we, 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 that equation makes sense on paper, that millions and billions of years is greater than just 80 years, but we don't functionally live like that's true sometimes. Like, we, we, we miss that. 
And when he says, but if anyone has the world's goods, we don't see that, that eternity is longer than just 80 years in this life. So I want to be very practical for a moment. When you enter the workforce, okay, 18, 20, 25, whenever that is for you, when you enter the workforce, you've got 60 to 70 years ahead of you if you are fortunate. And here's what happens. This is what the world sells us on. Make as much money as possible so that you can purchase comfort now and have some comforts now and throw money ahead in the future so you can have a nest egg of comfort later. That's the American dream. Buy what you can now. Store up for the comfort that you can have later. Go hard after this. It's the reason why right now you see a ton of advertisements on TV that are selling you on. This is what makes you feel good. Like you see a Lexus commercial and it says buy this with a big red boat on it at Christmas time. It feels good. Which those commercials annoy me for various reasons. First off, who springs a Lexus on their spouse and gets away with it? Like that, you got to be in a way different tax bracket to pull it off. Secondly, those commercials are almost always with a snowy backdrop. And it's like, listen, that is only some parts of the country. Like, y'all are missing it. It's neither here nor there. But you get sold on this idea of purchasing comfort now. Make sure you save enough for later. Make sure that when you're 65, you can buy an RV and go all around the country, that you can play as golf as much as you want, so that you can travel to Europe, that you can see all the parts of the world so that you can get the most out of this life right now. That's the American dream that is given to us. And I want to be very practical here. Nobody here is in the 1%, all right? We're just, none of us are killing it. And here's why this is really important, because if, there's, if, there, if I was speaking to a bunch of people who were absolutely loaded, packed the ceiling. It would be a different thing. I would touch different things, but I want to be real practical for us for a moment. If you go hard after that American dream, as middle-class people, you can't live generously. The margins aren't there. You can't do it. You don't have the means to do it. If you've got to upgrade your car every three to five years... If you've got to upgrade your house every three to five years, which when I was doing more real estate, I saw over and over again, when you've got to continuously throw large chunks of money at your retirement and do the basics, like eat, feed yourself, feed your family if you've got family, heat your home, which is really painful these days with inflation and everything that's happening. And then you've got to like subscribe to like 15 different things because that's now the basics for us in America. But... When you do all of these things, and then you look at your budget if you have one, or you look at your bank account if you don't, you're like, I don't, ha- I don't know how I can live generously. I don't know how I can give to anything. And you see a need that arises where the Christians need help. And it's like, I don't know how I can swing this. The reason we can't swing this is because of all the things that we gear our lives toward in this life right now because we've lost sight that we're going towards eternity. We've lost sight of that eternity is greater than the 80 years that are in this life. So here's how this could look differently for us. So you enter the workforce, all right, and you've got 60 to 70 years. 
Or right now, you're, you're rethinking your life. You've got 30, 20, 40, how many years left you've got in front of you? You say, I am going to make an impact for the kingdom with the time that I have on this earth. Randy Alcorn in the, the uh, I think it's the Treasury Principle, he says, uh, nothing makes a journey more difficult than a heavy backpack filled with nice but unnecessary things. Pilgrims travel light. Like you own that. And it's like I, there's a lot of, of, of unnecessary things that I could accumulate, but I don't live for this life. Like I don't need this. I'm living for eternity. I'm going to travel light. So what you do is, is you leverage your life for the kingdom of God. You leverage your life, your, your time, and you organize that in a way that you can serve the local church. You structure your budget in a way that reflects your values, that you don't take positions and jobs that consume your life, that make your job your, uh, your, your object of worship that you leverage your life for the kingdom, that you pass on goods, the world's goods, and everything that be offered to you on a regular basis. Why? Because, because you believe that that life in eternity is better, that you, because you see Christians that are in front of you that are eternal, pitted alongside the things that you could purchase. Like, no, I want to be able to bless those who are in need, that you orient your life around this understanding that life is eternal. And every decision you make for work and for spending and everything flows through that, that you live modestly because your eye is on the eternal prize because you believe that temporary comfort is less than eternal joy. And that is the anthem for how you live. And in the world's goods, that's just a tool. Money, stuff, that's just things. That's just a tool that that allows you to take care of your needs and your family and your life, but also be generous towards others. We, we, we miss this when we exchange, when we mess this up, and we say the end is the things we can purchase. That's how we fall prey to the American dream. We travel light because we know this life is temporary. We pack in this life has a, has a Christian understanding that it is light because we're living for the next one. Like what My wife and I, we're getting ready to go to... Disney World on Saturday, which I've, I think I said this two weeks ago, don't tell my kids because my wife will harm you, but it's a, it's a surprise to them. But we are getting ready to go to Disney World. We are going to pack with that in mind. If After my wife spent all week packing, I said, babe, guess what? I'm going to take the piano with me to Disney World. She'd be like, you are crazy. What are you thinking? It's a temporary trip. We pack accordingly. We, we in this life, we carry the things that we need because our mind is in eternity. All right, here's the second side of that coin. Second, see our stuff in light of eternity. So you got to see your life in light of eternity, but you got to see your stuff in light of eternity. All right, our economy is built off of consumerism. Not a huge shock, all right? Our economy is built off consumerism. Advertisements are, are, are geared towards helping you see that if, if you had this product, how good would you feel? How much better would your life be, right? You see something, scroll across on Instagram, and they're previewing the product, and you're like, I want that. That is going to be good. Like you see something on TV, and it's like, man, I would look so good in that, driving that. I, like that, that's, that's the whole goal is to help create this need or want in you and for you to buy that to fulfill that need. Now, 
this is what I would love to see happen, is that if you purchase something, or if you saw something that, that, that wanted you to purchase, and they advertised that product, and then they fast-forwarded like a year, or two years, or three years, or 10 years, and they showed you the same product. They showed your iPhone all cracked up. They showed your car with a bunch of dents in it. Like, we need that. Like, if, you, if the buy now button on Amazon showed the product that they were selling, first picture, you're like, let me see the second picture, and it's you throwing it in the trash in six months. Like, how much money would you not spend at Amazon, right? Like, or, 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 or the picture for us would be six months later selling it on Facebook for sale or wanted for like $5. <laughs> Come by, like that, like, like if we had that, like I, I just, I wanna show you, this is the side by side. This is a Samsung phone, all right? It looks very sleek and nice. I've never owned a Samsung phone, but that looks very nice. And you look at this and it's like, man, I, I want that. But if you just had, I, just, I took a screenshot on the for sale for your wanted. And uh, that's, that, I don't, I don't know how long ago a Galaxy S9 was, but when that was out, man, that was happening. Like that was it. And this person is sadly selling it. There's no way they're going to sell that. But they are selling that for 80 Please buy this. Like if you just had that mindset, the things that you purchase just don't last. Man, how much more freeing will we live? How much, how, how much easier it would be to just say no to things. It's like that's why I love how practical Matthew 6 is. How practical Jesus' teaching is. He says, Why? Would you leverage your money and your hope and some of your anxiety about buying? Why would you leverage it for things that moth and rust destroy? Translation, things that end up, end up in a landfill. Why do we do this to ourselves? It doesn't last. I mean, it's, I mean it doesn't last like it did 30 years ago. They don't even build things for you to like buy and repair things now. Like I, I buy something and I want to repair it. And it's like, no, you can't. You must replace it. I'm like, this is rigged. Like I want, this is ridiculous. Like do you buy, now you just got to buy things to replace things. Like it doesn't last. Like we need to see that. Because what happens is, is that we close our hearts towards other Christians who are in need for that. We close our hearts towards other Christians and needs for stuff that will not last. You need to see that picture right there pitted, up, pitted against a brother or sister in need. And Jesus says, store up treasures in heaven. That's better. And, and the New Testament teaching on that is, is that, listen, we, we believe that that by the blood of Christ, by grace through faith, he redeems us, he rescues us, and brings us into the family of God. But once you are a Christian... There is this teaching that you are storing up riches in heaven, that your works matter now in Christ, that there's some kind of heavenly reward. And we don't know what that is. Like, we don't have real strong pictures for that. But Jesus says it's good. He says it's eternal riches. Live as if eternity is true. Live as if the stuff that you could buy in this life will not last. It's not worth your hopes it's not worth your desires don't fall for it three see church family as family see church family as family it's going to be difficult for us to actually love to lay down our lives for brothers and sisters in christ 
if you don't view them as brothers and sisters. Uh, we don't have a shot at doing that. If we don't see family, church family, in the way that Jesus calls us to. Jesus in Matthew 12, his family's trying to get a hold of him. And we walked through this in the Gospel of Matthew a few years ago. I want to read this because I think this is incredibly important for us to understand. He says, it says, while he was still speaking to the people, he's been teaching, it says, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mothers and my brothers. Forever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now, Jesus loves his mama. Okay? Fact. Go to the end of the Gospel of John. Jesus loves his mama. He honors his family. He's not denigrating his family. He's not doing that at all. He is elevating the eternal family of God. He's trying to help us see that the eternal family of God matters. We need that, all right? Because a, a cultural southern value for us is family. Like, we care a lot about it down south. I love when Hollywood tries to write TV shows and movie scripts and capture that idea. It's just like you, they, they think everything for us is Hatfields and McCoys, that if you cross your brother or your cousin, you're going to kill somebody. It's like we're not that unhinged, right? But they are making some observations that are accurate. We do care about family more so than different parts of the country. Like we love our family. There's a lot of love and loyalty and care that we have for our earthly family, and we should, absolutely. The Bible teaches this over and over again. But that love and loyalty and care and devotion that we have for earthly family, Jesus says, take that, step it up. That is elevated also for the family of God, for the people of God, for your brothers and sisters. That love and loyalty and devotion is meant for your church family in a way that you would see your brother in need and lay down your life for them so that you would see another Christian need and say, what can I do? We don't have a shot at that if we don't see church family as family. If we don't see extended church family, the global church family as the family of God. We don't have a shot at that if we see what we do right now as a social aspect of what we do. Like if Sundays are just a social thing that we do, if groups are just a social aspect of our lives, we're missing it. We're missing it. And how easy will it be for us to close off our heart towards another brother and sister in Christ who is in need? We have got to see family as family. Four, we have to see the sacrifice of Christ. That's pinnacle. That, that, that's the basis for all of us, to see what Christ has done. He says, by this, verse 16, we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. We will never understand the sacrifice. We'll never live out this sacrifice for others. If at the forefront of our mind and our soul isn't the sacrifice of Christ. It's, it's not just that. He left heaven for us. It's not just he left heaven 
what we celebrate at Christmas, and came for us. It's from the manger to the cross and everything in between. God lays his life down up into the pinnacle sacrifice of Christ on the cross for us. His blood spilled out for us. We don't hold that out in front of us and have that as the basis for why we should lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. We don't have a shot at this. We'll fall for lesser comforts and lesser things over sacrifice towards others. We're called to lay down our lives and our own self-interest, which is hard. That's a radical call that Jesus calls us to. So I know from time to time that somebody stands up here, the other guy who preaches half the time, he likes to play up uh, that I like weird movies. And it's, he's, he, he likes to play it up. It's, he's a funny guy. And he has lots of jokes on, on I like sad movies, depressing movies. And all, you know, they have to be called films and cinema. He has all kinds of things to say about the things I uh, watch. I was watching the other day this indie film about this woman who dies of cancer. <laughs> and... I knew it going into it. Like, I, I chose this. Um, I read this article on, on the Gospel Coalition, which is a, is a helpful site for a lot of different articles and theology and stuff. And there's this movie, movie review of this movie called Our Friend that probably none of you have seen because it didn't do well at all. And it does sometimes fit in the category of movies that I watch. But I watched this because they said, listen, this movie embodies this sacrificial friendship. So like, I'm going to watch this, which, disclaimer, it's got some language in it, but it does embody this. It's a true story, okay? It's a true story about three friends, uh, and uh, three friends from college. Uh, two of them are, are married, one of them goes on, they, they stay connected for years, then all of a sudden, uh, the wife gets terminal cancer. And, uh, and it's incredibly hard on him, this is a younger family, they're like, like late 30s, they've got kids, and he's trying to take care of his wife, and his friend, their friend says, I'm gonna move in with you. So he moves from New Orleans to Alabama, and he. He lives with them for the last 12 to 18 months of her life. And it's just this, this sacrifice that he, he, he quits his job and he moves there and he serves her and he serves him and he watches their kids and gets them to school and helps with cancer treatment. As she's slowly fading and as she's, her mind is falling apart, he serves them and loves them all the way to her final last breath. And it's this, this choice to sacrifice because he loves them. And he lays down his life. And when you see that, it's like, that's it. That's a picture of the gospel. That you would lay down your life. That you would move to another city if it required it. That you would lay down your life for someone else because you see them as eternal family of God. And we as Christians have a higher ideal that, that we are bound together by this Jesus who laid his life down for us. How much more should we lay down our lives for those who are in need? Like we need this. And when we do this, we tap into something that is eternal and good. But it takes some self-reflection. It takes looking at the ways we don't want to die to ourselves, the ways we don't want the sacrifice. I feel this, y'all. I feel this. I, 
I say I'm in a busy season sometimes. It's really just a busy life. It's just the reality of it. And, I, and, I, and then sometimes like I, I look at my schedule and needs come up, and I'm like, I've got things I need to do. And I'm so convicted because I've got people in my life that don't do that. Like they, they move outside of their schedule because they love people. And it's like I need to grow in this, that I wouldn't value my time so much that I would not look at a brother in need, a sister in need, and have compassion towards them. We need this. We need to see the unmet wants and the unmet needs, and the things that we want to buy and the things we want to purchase and the things that we want to accumulate in our life. We need to say that is less than than other Christians in need. That is less than than my brother or my sister who is in need. We need to see the opportunities that we have in front of us, some of which come at great personal cost. I mean, sacrifice is that. It is great personal cost to you. Just as Jesus had great personal cost to him, we get to live that out towards others. And we got an opportunity in front of us with this give project. And some of you might be thinking, listen, I renovated a house. I got stuff that needs renovated. I got stuff that, that, that needs to get done. I got, I got things that I, I want to do and I want to impress upon you that part of this, when we have opportunities to give, it isn't always about what we're committing to. It's about our heart approach. It's about our heart approach that says, even when I don't have, I give and I sacrifice and I choose to do that over and over and over again. We got an opportunity in front of us with the Earhart family. You can throw a picture up to them. This uh, family is sacrificing a lot to come down here. He's taking a pay cut, moving into a smaller house. And they're going to sacrifice for the mission of Christ at Bethel. And we got this house, we got this opportunity. And it's a real tangible thing that we get to do to live out the gospel. We get to raise some money to be able to bless them. The house needs a lot of work. And it's just a way to love them well. That as they sacrifice for the mission of Christ, we get to sacrifice a little bit to be able to serve them so they can come in February ready to go. But it's not about this alone. This is a tangible thing we get to grow in. But we get to use this as a springboard into a lifestyle that understands eternity. The 10 trillion years is greater than just a few. That our stuff will fade and it's not worthy of our worship. We get to use this as an opportunity to see that family, eternal family matters. And we get to use this as an opportunity to look at the sacrifice of our Savior and let that flow into our heart and that compassion flow out in a lifestyle that chooses to live generously towards others. The band's going to come up and we're going to take the Lord's Supper. This meal is a physical picture, a representation of what Jesus did for us. That on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body that was broken for you. He said, he took the cup of the new covenant, covenant and he said, this is my blood that was shed for you, that as often as you eat and drink this, you proclaim my death until I return. But when we take this meal, we reflect upon the sacrifice 
of Christ. We look backward at what he has done for us. Grateful, thankful for what Jesus has done. But it's also a meal of tension because it looks forward to when he comes back. And when he comes back, 10 million trillion years into eternity, we get to enjoy Christ with one another as the people of God. So as Christians, we take this meal. I invite you to come take this meal. We have stuff at the front. We have more at the back. So if you see the front start clear out, you can go to the back. There's more room at the back. There's gluten-free in that back corner over there. When you're ready to take this, when you've reflected on the sacrifice of our Savior, joyfully come to the table. Remember what Christ has done. If you're not a Christian, we don't want you to take part in this meal. Please don't. I want you to reflect upon how good our God is. I want you to hear the words that I just said. Those are true. That Jesus deeply loves you. That he came for you. That he laid his life down for you. So that you could experience a life that isn't enslaved to riches or things in this world. But is so fully enamored with who he is into eternity. We invite you to place faith in Jesus because he is better. Let me pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the life that you laid down, the sacrifice that you offered, that it is better than this world. But I pray that you'd help us believe that. I pray you'd help us come to the table prepared to remember and joyfully celebrate the goodness of the gospel. God, I pray that you would stir in us. You'd stir in us this deep, eternal, desire to lay down our wants, our needs for the sake of one another. But we are selfish, self-interested. We need you to lead us to repentance and obedience and to joy. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.